0: Welcome to the Cloudonaut Podcast. My name is Andreas and you're listening to Volume 2 of the AWS to-go series. Get started with AWS or broaden your knowledge while walking, biking, running, driving or whenever you enjoy listening to podcasts. There are three things I want to highlight before we get started. First, I want to welcome Stefan to the show. Stefan is a web and front-end developer. He just gets started with all things AWS. And that's why Stefan is here to ask questions on your behalf.
1: Hi, everyone. Hi, Andreas.
0: Hi, I'm very glad to have you on the second volume of this. So second, the AWS to go series is based on our book, Amazon Web Services in Action, published by Manning. And we are currently in the progress of writing the third edition. The first chapters are already available for reading, so get a copy today and check out the show notes for the details. And third, AWS expertise is in high demand. For example, our partner TechRacer is looking for cloud consultants and cloud migration specialists. TechRacer is 100% focused on AWS and has offices in Hannover, Duisburg, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, Lisbon and Lucerne. Check out the show notes for details about the open positions and apply today. Let's get started. The topic for today is a simple example, WordPress in 15 minutes. And if you want to follow along, check out chapter 2 of our book AWS in Action. So. The idea of the second chapter in our book is basically that you get your hands into AWS as quickly as possible. So the first chapter was a little bit about the basics, the terms, everything. And the second chapter really wants to give you the full-blown version of AWS and (laughs) really get you into the experience. And that's um, what we are focusing in this. Mm -hmm. And the way we do that, is um, by using an example that is built on um, what what is called infrastructure as code. And that's really a fascinating thing. And maybe I'd, I'd like to share my story with AWS a little bit. So when I started um, working with AWS and building my first infrastructures there, um, the very first time I did so, I was clicking through the AWS Management Console. And uh, this was really cool stuff. So you can get started very quickly, spin up machines, create load balancers, configure everything together. And um, it's actually a very convenient way to get started. Um, but after a while, let's say about a few months later, I realized, oh, um, is there a way to automate all of that? Because I had to do the same things over and over again. And mostly because I was trying to set up a test system, as well as a production system, so every time I made a change, I had to do that in my test environment and then later in the production environment and One issue with that was of course, it was a lot of clicking around work, which i 'm <laughs> trying to avoid <laughs> whenever I can and The second thing is I, I was doing a lot of mistakes while <laughs> doing so, so I can remember that so often I misconfigured security groups, so firewall configurations. All that stuff. So, really, made a lot of mistakes, um, even in the production system. So, I thought I need to automate all of that, and I looked around a little bit, and I found oh, there is something called the AWS CLI, so command line interface, and basically what I was doing is I was writing a Bash script um, to automate Mm -hmm. the things. (laughs) So this is this was at least better than clicking through the management console. And I could spin up the whole infrastructure. And, but, um, what I then realized is it's not that easy to write a bash script together with thing up and running because you have dependencies and it's hard to keep track of what you've been already applying and stuff like that. So, yeah. And it, it took me, I think it almost took me a year until I realized that there is even another approach to that, which is infrastructure is code. And I, I discovered cloud formation. And that's what we are using in the second chapter of the book because this is really a mind blowing tool if you use it for the first time. Because, um, as we show in the second chapter, um, you, basically what you do is you download uh, a YAML file from our examples, and you use that. You click; it's a three, uh, a few clicks in the management console, and then. It creates a so-called CloudFormation stack, which basically spins up all the infrastructure you need from zero. So it it really creates everything. The networking configuration, um, load balancers, firewall rules, the database, a storage, um, uh, really all the scaling. So really everything you need to get in this case a WordPress. So this uh, CMS blogging system up and running. So so and it's
1: like a template
0: yes, yeah, it's like a template or or, or a blueprint, mm-hmm. and basically it's a file um, you can think of it like a configuration file, it describes um the target state of your infrastructure, and um you can use that and just basically apply it and it spins up all the resources for you and this is really <laughs> magical. I, I can tell you when you do I, I promise you if you've never done so. <laughs> you do so for the first time. It really is mind blowing because <laughs> all those resources pop up. It's, um, I would say it's fifty or something resources that this spins up out of out of nowhere, and then all that works together seamlessly. And this is <laughs> this is really really cool. And yeah, that's why we're using it for the second chapter because we really want to give the reader a wow effect when um, going through a chapter. And I think that really. Uh, happens <laughs> when you spin up the whole thing from zero and it it just magically works basically of course later in the book we dive into all the details and everything but the idea here is just yeah, to get you as excited as i was when <laughs> i was an aws beginner and used CloudFormation for the first time um, yeah so that's um that's really the thing <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's the it's the it can be that simple, but if you want to understand it, you should dive deeper into it.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And maybe we can maybe we can dive a little bit into the yeah, the services or the concepts that we use to spin up WordPress, which is basically a very typical web application. Right. So it's it's a PHP application. It's um, mm. a CMS system. Um, the back end and the front end, and, and yeah, it's really a very, I would say it's really a very typical web application. And so what do you need to get it running? So Stefan, when you, when you think about, um, if you have to deploy WordPress somewhere and you have to make sure that you can reach it from the internet, what, what, are, what do you think, what is needed to get that job and running? What would you say? For
1: WordPress, uh, I would, first of all, I would need a, obviously a server, who would be able to understand and render PHP Mm -hmm. server side, then I would need um, a database for Mm -hmm. all the blog posts and images and all that stuff, which WordPress stores somewhere. Mm -hmm. I would need a a domain. Mm -hmm. Um, I would need...
0: So so I think we we covered the most important parts. So you need a web server, you need a database. Maybe what we um, could add to the list as well is, so WordPress stores things on disk. So things like the images that you upload, stuff like that is not stored in the database, but it's just stored on the local disk of the server. True, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so that's it, exactly. And um, yeah, so that are the core the core things that we need, and that's what we have in the CloudFormation template that spins up everything as well. So we have um, virtual machines, easy two instances that uh, spin up and basically install Apache and then download WordPress and unzip that and everything and configure it. Um, we have a database, in this case, we're using RDS, which is a managed database service by AWS, provided by AWS. Uh, which which gives us a MySQL database instance, and for um, for the files, um, so uploads from from the from the all of us that the for example images and stuff like that, uh, we use an EFS uh, file system, which is basically I don't know if you agree with the concept. To, <laughs> back in the days, we all had those network file systems NFS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is basically a way to Connect multiple machines to one um, file system over the network, and that's basically the same principle here. And uh, again, this is um, a service provided by AWS that we can use out of the box. And maybe one um, taking that one step one step further is, um, as we discussed in in the last uh, volume, so for chapter one, AWS comes with that concept of regions. So they have their mm-hmm. data centers distributed around the world in, and they are called regions. And if you remember, each region consists of multiple data centers, which are grouped into availability zones. And we want to make uh, use of that concept as well. Um so we, we are aiming for deploying every part of our architecture into at least two availability zones. So the RDS. Um, Database by default um, is able to run in a so-called multi-AZ mode, which means Amazon spins up two machines that get replicated automatically. Um, EFS is automatically available in all availability zones and synchronizes the data out of the box. And for EC2, so for the virtual machines, um, we are also not only spinning up one machine, um, but to at least two machines in two different availability zones, they run in parallel and they both run Apache and have WordPress installed. Mm-hmm. And um, so we make sure that when one instance fails or the whole availability zone fails, the other one can take over or just continue working basically and handle the incoming requests. And because we have two instances, we somehow need to split the incoming traffic, um, to those two instances, and therefore we're using a load balancer, a so-called application load balancer, which is again a managed service that AWS provides out of the box and can use it. And this is this gets an a DNS name, so domain name, and then you can just re- route your requests there, and then this one, the, the load balancer distributes them to the available EC2 instances. Um, and so that's basically the um, the parts um, that we are using here um, for the WordPress example.
1: Mm-hmm. This elastic file system. So how can I imagine that? Is this really just like, as you described it, a disk um, where it can host stuff or can it do, or could I use it potentially also, let's say, as a CDN?
0: Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. So the the EFS, uh, so it's the the full name is Elastic File System. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so the thing is, um, you you need to mount the the network file system somewhere. So what you typically need um, is an easy two instance running. Mm-hmm. that con- mounts the NFS file system. So NFS is basically a protocol. And uh, Linux instances are able to mount um um yeah a file system over the network by using that protocol. So basically um you mount the thing and um then it appears as a file system on your on your local machine but it's connected over the network. And um mm-hmm. so the thing here is Uh, EFS is not accessible from the outside. There is no API or no front end um, for that. So that's different to the S3 service, um, which is another storage service that AWS provides, which has a public interface, a public API, and you can use it to host, for example, images directly. Um, And that's not true for EFS. EFS is only available over the, the private network. And Mm -hmm. so you need to mount it uh, to an easy 2 instance. In theory, you can mount it um, over a VPN connection in your local data center as well as stuff like that. But that's not what we are um, looking into here. So um, the EFS alone is not accessible from the outside. You need an easy 2 instance that mounts that. And then the web server basically accesses the files. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, hence the move or yeah distributes them. So an EC2 instance is, is needed to access those files. And the, maybe to differentiate that to the third storage option that is available, just to get very briefly into that, which is EBS the Elastic Block uh, Storage. Um, so this is a storage um, where the, the, which is basically co- um, similar to a um, a storage what's it called, um, a SAN. So this is basically a storage area network. And you can mount this to an EC2 instance as well, but only to one instance. And with, with EFS, uh, you can mount multiple instances. You can mount the same EFS file system to multiple instances, and they can read and write data uh, simultaneously. So that's, I would say, the, the, the main <laughs> differentiator to the other uh, objects
1: make sense.
0: Okay, um, so yeah, so I think we we have gone through the architecture um, that we use for um, bringing up the WordPress system. And I hope I, <laughs> I I already built some excitement around the CloudFormation thing that spins all, all of that, um, spins all the resources that are needed for that. And the next uh, question that I'm I'd like to talk about is um, how much does it cost? <laughs> so this is an important question when it comes to AWS. So I think it is um, worth um, yeah discussing that for, for this example. So first of all, um, so how do you know what an AWS infrastructure will cost you? So let's say um, you have WordPress running on premises now and you want to migrate that to AWS and you want to make an estimation of the cost. So how do you do that? Um, so one helpful tool to do so is the so called AWS pricing calculator. And um, this is a uh, calculator dot can open that in the browser. And it's basically a complicated form <laughs> that allows you to input all the AWS services that you're going to use. So um, the load balancer, the EC2 instances, EFS, RDS, the database. Um, did, we miss, did I miss something? I think that's the most important things that are where, where all the costs are coming from. And you can enter all of that into uh, the cost calculator, and it gives you an estimate of the costs. And so I did this for the example that we are running, which is um, uh, consisting of um, the virtual machines, two virtual machines, T2Micro is the size of those. I calculated with um, eight gigabyte storage for both of the machines. Then we have the load balancer and uh, we calculated with 100 gigabytes traffic um, or 200 gigabytes of traffic. The database is running with five gigabyte storage. And we also calculated five gigabytes of storage for EFS. And when you type all those details into the cost calculator, um, do you have a guess what this will cost on AWS? Do you have any idea? What do you think is a reasonable price <laughs> for that?
1: I'm sorry, I already opened the link. <laughs> I know it. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. So yeah, so it's it's around about um, 75 US dollars per month um, that mm. you will pay for that. Depends a little bit in which region you deploy it. Also, of course, if you have more traffic or more storage and stuff, it will cost you more. But that's a that's yeah, just a rough estimate of, uh, of the infrastructure costs that you have, uh, yeah, for all it, of that.
1: It seems a little bit like for me, like it's always a question. Then should I do it in AWS or because like seventy four dollars. um, is quite expensive if you compare it to, I don't know. Yes. There are a lot of uh, services where you can be like, hey, we give you a server a domain and WordPress already installed. And mm. um, there you go. Yeah. Um, and you t- paid five bucks or whatever <laughs> <in> a month. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, I know. So if you compare it to web hosting um, providers that are maybe yeah. uh, doing WordPress stuff as well. Yes, of course. I think the... So the reason for WordPress spe- uh, specifically, why you want to host it that way on AWS. So I think one is um, the whole infrastructure is highly available. So you, basically you have at least two components of every part of the architecture running in two different data centers. That's typically not what you get <laughs> from those cheap mm-hmm. web posters. That's true. It just runs on one machine. And if that fails, it's it's just down. So that might be fine for your personal blog where no one cares whether it's online or not, but if you're hosting an um, important uh, website that's, that might be different. So that might be a reason um, for paying extra. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, um, at least that what is is my experience with those very cheap web hosting um, <laughs> offers is they usually don't expect you to have high traffic <laughs> on the site. So as yeah. soon as you have um higher traffic or traffic spikes they will they will just cancel your subscription and uh, tell you (laughs) to go somewhere else so i think that's the other um the other reason or um maybe in some organizations they just um want to have full control over the infrastructure uh so so basically um as you have control over the web server over the virtual machine over basically everything all the parts of the the whole system the network as well and uh, you have also have of course ways to i don't know mitigate security risks, stuff like that that a web hoster wouldn't do uh, for you but but yes i agree <laughs> there are many uh, scenarios where it's probably much more advisable to host WordPress somewhere else <laughs> than on AWS. That's maybe true as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I guess the availability is a really good mm. point because yeah. um, we also had the problem that we got like a email from the provider which says like, hey, mm-hmm. we are updating our service servers and the mm-hmm. server will be down um, for like beginning, maybe in this week, we will see and we don't know for how long. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> that,
0: that sounds very professional. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's actually what yeah what you can expect for that price. They they, of course, don't have the capacity to do that uh, in any other way. Yeah, so that's that's probably a good a good reason. And of course, that maybe is something um, that that we need to discuss when we talk about pricing or so, of course. There there's also a low cost version available. So you could in in theory you could just spin up one virtual machine hosting mm-hmm. the web server and the database, of course. And without a load balancer, uh, without EFS and so on, that would be much, much cheaper as well. So this is probably ten bucks or something. Um so this is of course the cost is mostly coming from that sophisticated architecture that really makes use of those availability zones and so on. Um uh on the other hand, yeah. um the the operations effort that you have um with with the setup that we discuss is uh is really reduced a lot because so for example the database is something that AWS is fully responsible for. So things like backups, mm-hmm. um patches, all that stuff is happening automatically uh without without a huge downtime. Um, so you benefit from that, which otherwise you need to do that somewhere, (laughs) somehow on the machine manually or with a crone job that probably fails from time to time. And then the, the disc runs full and stuff like that. So you have a lot of, um, typically you save a lot of, um, operational effort, um, a lot of time when it comes to for maintenance and stuff like that. Also EFS is totally maintenance free. Um, the storage grows as you need it. There's no, nothing that you, you need no other disc or something. It just works out of the box. So I think those things are also, um, uh, differentiators.
1: Could I also opt out of like, let's say, um, or like, how does this RDS works with, uh, my SQL where let's say I have a WordPress system running, and this is currently using, I don't know, the MySQL version nine. Mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, and let's say the new version of MySQL would have a breaking change for the current WordPress system. Mm-hmm. Would it up, or could I up, opt out of um, not updating to that new version?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, or so 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 only the maintenance releases get applied automatically. So if you okay. switch to the new major version, that's um, a manual uh, thing. Basically, you need to tell AWS to do so. It's only the the other maintenance security patches that AWS applies automatically.
1: Mm -hmm. And this RDS system, um, can I imagine this one being like a shelf full of uh, database uh, uh, providers like MySQL, um, MongoDB, or... I don't know. Whatever mm. um are there, like is it basically a list I can pick from or could I also be um yeah spin up my own database with
0: whatever So um so RDS is the relational database service so it's only relational database engines um uh, okay. so it <laughs> supports uh, MySQL it supports MariaDB it supports Postgres and then Oracle, (laughs) Microsoft, um, uh, and Microsoft SQL. Um, So um, those are the supported database engines. And basically you select the database engine that you want to use. And then you can think of it in the background, AWS provisions, virtual machines for you and um, basically configures them, provi- provisions them with the database um, of your choice. So at the end, there is a virtual machine running somewhere. But the benefit is you only get a database endpoint and you do, do not have any access to the system, to the machine itself. You have no root access to the machine. The management of the machine is the job um, of AWS. Um, so mm-hmm. all you get is the endpoint, and you can basically configure the machine a little bit, and then AWS applies the changes. Um, and the, the beauty of that is, um, yeah, you get um, uh, a pre-configured, um, fully, um, uh, fully managed database engine from AWS. And I think, for example, only the thing backup and highly high availability. For example, with uh, falling back to another instance in another availability zone out of the box. So to get that functionality, to build that functionality yourself, you already need some deeper knowledge of, of a database system. It's not that easy to, to do that yourself. And I think that's the, yeah, the real benefit of using that. So basically, you don't need to know too much about the database that you're using. Uh, you can just uh, use it um, mm-hmm. and just use the endpoint of it.
1: makes sense
0: yeah okay um so um so we have discussed the architecture we discussed um the pricing and then um i think uh, <laughs> i want to come back to my excitement about um, cloud formations so the infrastructure is called to let spin up all those resources out of the box because at the very end of the chapter so at the end of chapter two um you will delete the infrastructure as well, because of course, we don't want you uh, to have to pay for your AWS resources. In our book, we always aim to use the free tier, which is an offering from AWS to basically allow you to try things out for free. And um, But that applies um, that you also uh, yeah only use the resources for some of them only for a certain amount of time or only for a certain amount of uh, only certain um, capacity of those services. So that's why it's important to basically clean up the examples afterwards. And that's why the last section of the chapter is deleting your infrastructure. And um, um, the the beauty here is, as we're using CloudFormation, this is really, really simple. (laughs) Because what (laughs) you have to do is, you, you go to the management console, so to the web interface, you open the CloudFormation service, you select your stack, and then you just click delete. And that means in the background now, uh, CloudFormation deletes all the resources that it has been creating formally, and it just deletes all those resources. So it makes sure to delete everything that you have created. Um, It just—it doesn't forget any resource. It doesn't forget the EFS. It doesn't forget the security or something. It just deletes everything. And um, to implement that, uh, yourself, or to do that by going clicking through the management console, is not that easy actually, because those resources depend on each other, and you cannot just delete um, in any order. You have to follow a specific order, <laughs> because for example, I can tell you, you cannot delete a security group firewall configuration uh, while it's still in use, for example, by an EC2 instance. <laughs> so it's important to get the um, the order right. And CloudFormation does that out of the box automatically for you. So you just click the button, you wait a few minutes and then the whole infrastructure is gone and you're not paying anything anymore for those resources.
1: That's actually a very good service, especially if you spin it up with uh, this blueprint um, and then you probably maybe not, are not aware of what has been created in yes. the first place. <laughs> <laughs> yes
0: yes exactly so, so if i if i have to or that the if that feature wouldn't exist i would have great uh, to create a really long instruction list <laughs> of what mm-hmm. you have to delete in which order and um but with confirmation, it's just the click of a button and it just deletes everything um and that's really cool i would say
1: that that's really cool yeah um i i run run into this deleting thing problem once where i tried to i can't remember what it was but i ran into this problem like i wanted to delete something and it said like uh popped up this arrow message where it said told me like, oh, you need to delete this first because uh, it's dependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, to this service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I tried to delete this one. It was like, oh, no, you have to, d- <laughs> <laughs> delete the next. you can't delete this. <laughs> yeah,
0: Yeah, it's really it's really a dependency graph of all those things. It's not that mm-hmm. easy to get that right manually. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, Stefan, I think um, we have gone... Through chapter two, and I hope um, you and also our listeners really got excited about AWS from what we have been talking through, especially about the infrastructure's code aspect. And I can promise you, the infrastructure's coding or cloud formation in, in, in specific is something we will come to in the other chapters um, that we will discuss as well. Um, so this is really a a basic or an important concept um, that we have in uh, through the whole book uh, is infrastructure is code.
1: very nice. Yeah, I learned a lot today again, especially that um, those YAML templates can be very helpful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Cool, Stefan.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's close this. So. Um, did you learn something new by listening to this podcast episode? May I ask you for a favor? Please tell your friends and co-workers about the Cloudonaut podcast. Also, leave a review on Apple podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our work on Cloudonaut is possible only because of your support. Therefore, we want to thank our supporters. With your help, we can continue to produce independent and high-quality content focused on AWS. If you are not already doing so, please consider supporting us with a one-time or recurring donation as well. well. You will find all the details in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.